The world looked very different 250 years ago. The population was about 10% of what it is today, about 770 million. It's compared to 7.5 billion or more. Christianity was virtually unknown in South America, Asia, Africa, in the islands. And there were not yet the great inventions, even things like the steam engine, the train, electric lights. There was not the USA. And that was when William Carey was born. He is called the father of modern missions, not because he is the first, but because when God sent that man, he was, as it were, the opening of the lid. And then all this long train of men came out from the men that we have heard about, from Adoniram Judson to John Payton to many others. They were following, by God's providence, this particular man. He was short, bald, and poor. He did not have a matric certificate or high school education, and yet he personally translated or oversaw the translation of the Bible from Greek and Hebrew into six Indian languages. And 29 other languages received portions of the Bible. So he did the entire Bible in six languages and portions of the Bible into 29 more from the original languages which he taught himself to read. And so I would summarize the whole life with this sentence. In a cold and indifferent time, amidst amazing opposition from both friends and family, with a slim salary keeping him often in poverty, through heart-stopping difficulty and the death of friends and family, William Carey both conceived of amazing ideas and plotted on through constant hardship until the farthest reaches of paganism had been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that story begins on the 17th of August, 1761, when Carey is born to Edmund and Elizabeth. Fourteen years later, he's a young boy, and he begins work as an apprentice to a shoemaker. And there's a boy who's a little bit older than him working with him, and that boy evangelizes him over and over for three years. He will not leave him alone. Carrie later wrote, it was because that man, John Warr, and we didn't even know his name until about 100 years ago. His name was Lost John Warr, the man who led William Carey to Christ. His name was lost until a letter that Carey wrote was uncovered, which means, again, an unknown person in church history, one of Christ's sheep, is faithful talking for three years with a 14-year-old boy. And then, and then the Indians are brought to Christ. The first fruits of India come to Christ. Well, Carey is helped as a 14-year-old boy. He actually is converted about 17. Soon after that, he decides to become a Baptist. And he's helped in ministry by three Baptist pastors named Thomas. And at that time, the Baptists in England didn't have an, a formal college for training. So they would train commonly from house to house at the pastor's home. And they taught some of these subjects, Hebrew and Greek, English, logic, using Isaac Watt's book on logic. 
They taught rhetoric and classic literature. And if you notice, those subjects are all the classical education curriculum. So the Baptists, who are not known for being scholarly or well-trained, actually, they were maybe better trained than some of their critics give them credit for. And it was many men who were trained by staying for a few weeks in each home that many of the Baptist pastors in the 1700s were trained. William Carey went through that too. At 20 years old, he marries a 25-year-old woman. Usually it happens that Richard Baxter at 47 takes a girl, I think she's 21. But here we have William Carey at 20 taking a 25-year-old girl named Dorothy. Dorothy was a nice but average girl. She wasn't particularly evil and she was not amazingly gifted or zealous. He taught his wife how to read and how to write because she also did not have an education. And they were so poor that William later writes, we lived often and for a great while without tasting animal flesh. Carrie was added when he's 21 years old as a lay preacher to the Baptists in England. And then after 10 years of walking often 12 miles to preach on a Sunday morning and once 22 miles, that's about 35 Ks walking to preach on a Lord's Day. He is ordained as a pastor. When he's ordained, his reputation went before him because he was zealous for family worship, as John Payton was, and he was also zealous for holiness. He burnt his playing cards because he was convinced that that was sin. As a pastor, he church disciplined a woman twice for gossip, removed her from the church. He church disciplined and removed another man for asking for handouts from church members. He reduced... He, removed another deacon from the church for being unkind to the poor. These are all recorded in the notes of the church that he pastored. And what church did he pastor? He pastored the church that a man named Benjamin Badome had pastored. That man, for 50 years, was pastor of the church. He was the man, I think I've referenced him before, who wrote a poem every week on the text of Scripture that he was preaching on. Then he would choose a common tune... After his sermon was done, he would read his poem and he would say, we're going to sing this too. And he would call the tune and they would sing the song to that tune. That was the faithful man who, when he died, Carrie took over. Carrie baptized his wife in October after taking over for Benjamin Badome. And while he's working as a shoemaker, because the church could not pay him enough, so he would work on the side as a shoemaker... And while he's working as a shoemaker, he particularly liked his job because he could prop up books and sew the leather while reading. And it was that way that he got his education. He would borrow books constantly and sometimes spend his meager funds on buying books. And then people would sometimes give him books. Well, in 1788, at about 27 years old, he's invited to a pastor's fellowship. And while he's there they had the habit of asking different pastors to bring up a theological point for discussion. And at each one of their meetings, different men would bring up points for discussion. And then one of the older men said, Carrie, next time you bring up a point for discussion, and Carrie brought up this question, does the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations apply to the apostles only, 
or to all Christians at all times. Later on, an older pastor said to him, Young man, sit down. You're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. But Carrie did not sit down. And though that man was nearly twice his age, Carrie made a globe by hand out of leather and scraps. He marked on the globe the drawing of the countries as best he could. Remember, this is, this is 250 years ago. So getting maps and globes is not easy. We haven't even finished mapping all the parts of the world. This was the time when many maps of Africa would have a rough drawing around the edge and then write lions here. And that that would fill a large portion of North Africa. Kerry does his best to make a map and to fill it up. He reads David Brainerd's journals and the Apostle Paul was one of his greatest heroes. Well, the pastors of this um, association showed very little interest, but Carrie would not give up. And so he began compiling a book. That book was 87 pages long, and it's largely tables, tables that have statistics about different countries of the world. Now, what's most remarkable is that William Carey does this 250 years ago while working with only the resources that are available at the time. He uses math to determine the populations of different countries and um, nations. He'll figure out how many people generally live in this area. And then he would multiply that out by the square miles, which he figured out often on his own. He would have to figure out latitude and longitude lines and figure out that's approximately this many miles. And he would multiply the numbers. And his biographer said he was remarkably accurate in estimating how many people lived in China or India or Africa or South America. <clears throat> he finally compiled his book into the book entitled An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathen. And in that book he wrote these words, If we Christians loved men as merchants love money, no fierceness of peoples would keep us from their midst. We would evangelize if we loved them like other men loved their money. He read that book to the Baptists. They had a teachable spirit. And so they said, okay, come back and preach to us. And he took Isaiah 54 verse 2. A verse if you're reading, you would think that doesn't apply to missions. But I, Carrie took that verse and opened it up and said, open up your tents and move out the pegs so your tent can hold more. And he preached that sermon, which is called the Deathless Sermon. Because it was that sermon that eventually sparked so many others to go out. And he pleaded with them with full optimism. God will save the world. He's going to convert these people. He's going to bring in a great revival. It's going to take suffering and pain and death. And I might die in the first generation. We might go out and die. But the soldiers coming after us are going to win. We've got to go. And this man, who is now 31 years old, preaches that sermon as an uneducated, impoverished pastor. And he said in that sermon the famous words, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And he blended with that stroke, man's hard work and God's faithfulness. 
After that sermon, the men in, where he preached were not moved, and so he grabbed his friend Andrew Fuller's arm and said, Andrew, is there nothing to be done still? And so finally Andrew said, well, don't you think we could get a meeting to talk about what we can do about reaching the heathen? So in October, five months, four months later, the Baptist Society for Foreign Missions was formed. They took their first offering in a tobacco box, and they gathered just just a a little bit of money to begin with. Kerry had no money to give to the society because he was dirt poor, but his book had begun selling. So he took all the proceeds from his book and gave it to the missionary society. Andrew Fuller, his good friend, supported him for 22 years until his death. Fuller was a godly and gifted man whom we should be covering in church history, but you're going to have to go read about him on your own. Fuller stayed in London, raised money constantly for the missionaries, Well, Carrie tells his wife, we're going to move to India. And she's terrified. She's eight months pregnant with three young boys. She's already buried her first two daughters. There's war between France and Britain, which means if you take a boat and leave Britain, you might get shot and your boat might sink. She's already lost, as I mentioned, her first two children. She's got Eight, she's, she, her belly's large with the, the next baby that's about to be born, which means if she goes, she's going to bear that child on the boat. She says, I can't do it. Carrie decides, I'm going to go with my son, Felix. He gets ready to go. They're delayed. And so he says, no, no, let's go. Let's go back and get her. Now the baby's been born. He goes back to his wife, pleads with her. Amazingly, she says, okay, I'll go if my sister goes with me. Within 24 hours, her sister hears about the idea, decides to leave her country, and she never saw her land again. Her, his wife decided to go, and they pack up everything they have, and they get ready to go. Now it's three adults and five children need passage on the boat, and they have almost no money. Eventually, they get on the boat. They sail for five months and arrive famously on the 7th of November, 1793. While on that ship... The 1.6 meter tall Carrie throws his wig into the sea and lives for the rest of his life as a bald man. And that's the famous picture that was painted of him. As they near the Indian shore for the first time, Carrie writes back, quote, To the three men who are supporting him at home, Ryland, Sutcliffe, and Fuller, I hope you will go on and increase and that multitudes may hear the glorious words of truth. Africa is but a little way from England. Madagascar, but a little further. South America and all the many and large islands in the Indian and Chinese seas will, I hope, not be forgotten. A large field opens on every side and millions are tormented by ignorance, superstition, and idolatry. They plead with every heart that loves God. Close quote. Carrie, his wife, And his wife's sister arrived with no passports, no friends, and no house. They arrived in India, 1793, to a land with 330 million gods, hook swinging. I have some pictures of hook swinging that I I found here from one of the church um, archives. I have pictures of hook swinging where they would take large metal hooks, tie them to ropes, jab them in the flesh, the naked backs of men, 
lift them up on ropes and have the men swinging several meters above the ground. Voluntarily, they chose to do that in an effort to appease the foolish and wicked demons that they called gods. They were held in that backward, barbaric, and savage state. They had the wicked, demonic practice of burning women whenever their husbands died, calling it sati. And they had the filthy and vile cultural practice of arranging their whole world in levels where there were the untouchable outcasts at the bottom who could never change their position. They were garbage takers. They were the ones to be cursed. They were the ones that nothing could come of them. You were the the butt of all the jokes. You were the people we laugh at, mock, and dislike. You can never marry us or come near to us who are in the second level. And then there's the third level, and the second can't reach the third. Inborn hatred within groups. An entire opposition to God who is love. Everything that's good and holy about the Christian religion was overthrown and opposed by that wicked, godless, demonic, barbaric, savage, backward culture. And that's where Kerry arrives. He's got to go into that place and bring the light of the gospel. Well, Dorothy and her two eldest children get sick. That sickness lasts for eight months. And then when Kerry finds them a place to live... Then all of their money is lost by another man who had come with them who was foolish with money. And now they have no money overseas, no legal documents. The British government, who is there only with a few of their troops, wants to get them out. They have political problems. They can't speak the language and they have no money. For months, they travel around on a boat looking for a place to stay. Now imagine if you are a woman... With four babies, one infant, you are sick with dysentery, and your children are sick, and you're living on a boat where, Carrie wrote, my wife is greatly distressed at the crocodiles, which come very near to the boat. They can't get off the boat to sleep at night because there are tigers in the jungle. They can't get near the edges of the boat because the crocodiles could reach them. The mosquitoes torment them constantly, and she's sick along with the children. Carrie writes in his journal, quote, traveling with a family is a great hindrance to holy meditation. 1794, he's been there for a year, and his five-year-old son dies. Only he and his wife can bury the boy because of the wicked, foolish, backward caste system. So the demons even mock Carrie there. We took your son And we won't even let anyone help you. You're going to have to dig the grave yourself, just like Peyton. On the Lord's Day, Kerry would commonly walk 20 miles. He would preach three times in the open air. He would sing a hymn in broken Bengali. And even though he was short and bald, he tried to attract people in any way that he could. And then he would attempt to preach Socratically by asking questions. One of the questions he asked is, did God make man or did man make God? And he wrote in 1795, never was a people more willing to hear, yet more slow to understand. After a year and a half of living there, Dorothy had another bout with dysentery and she fell into a permanent darkness for the rest of her life. This woman and Peter, her son, and many other missionaries 
are the cost to taking the gospel to those places and seeing the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. He waits 17 months in India before he receives his first letter. But then in 1797, after three and a half years of working, he completes the New Testament in Bengali. That first translation was very poorly done. He has to edit it or revise it eight more times. And amazingly, two other people revised it as well, and he didn't critique them. Now, if you've never written or translated, maybe you don't realize how hard that is. But if you had translated, translated, revised, 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 and then someone else comes in and says, oh, let me fix what you've done. And he said, hey, fix it. And then he found errors in that guy's work and fixed it again. And then someone else came. It's not printed yet, but it is translated. So there's these stacks of papers if they can find a printer, but they don't have a printer. 1799, after they've been there for five years, five more missionaries arrive. They still have no converts. But they have no place to keep them because there's, Britain doesn't want to let missionaries in, even though these guys are British citizens. So they get together with the Danish government and they buy an area of land called Sarampore. And all the missionaries decide to live there together. One of the missionaries, William Grant, dies after 20 days of landing in India. I recorded in the back of the biography all the missionary deaths. I began doing that with Judson, recording their deaths in the back. It's a very, I think it's a very telling statistic to see when you read that this man lives and we count him as doing all these great works, and he did, but 9, 10, 15, 20 people sometimes died, some of them after a month and never got to do. And maybe they would have served just as diligently or maybe better, but the Lord saw fit to take them home. At 39 years old, Carrie's real work begins when William Ward and Joshua Marshman join him. Ward, Marshman, and Carrie are called the Sarampore Trio, the greatest example of teamwork outside the Bible. Neither Carrie nor Marshman had a formal education. They both just like to read books, and they sit, get down and get to work. They purchase a large house where the, all three families live together. Each Saturday night they have a meeting and they say, if there's any problems, let's talk about it right now because we've got to make sure that we have unity and love and peace between us. Everything in the house is decided by majority vote. Carrie, who had been there by far the longest, who had done more than anyone else, says, no, I'll just take one vote along with you all. You can outvote me if you want. He was outvoted a number of times and he was okay with that. Carrie regularly preached five times in the week. And at 15, year old, 15 years old, his son Felix begins preaching before he's baptized. Carrie, Marshman, and Ward carry on an enterprise with Carrie doing a lot of the translation work. Marshman and Ward. Marshman doing the schools and Ward doing the printing of the Bibles. So Marshman is largely bringing in funds Although he's also teaching, but his great, his great task is to bring in funds to support the mission because Carrie had said at the beginning, we only want enough money just to get there. And then we're going to get jobs, we're going to support ourselves, and we'll be a model for all the other missionaries. They can do that too. So Marshman, you've got to get a school, and it's got to be a good school so you can make lots of money. And then with all that money, support the missionaries. And they do support the missionaries. We'll learn about that just now. In 1800... Six and a half years after arriving, 
they meet a carpenter named Krishnapal, who had dislocated his shoulder. Karen Marshman tie him to a tree. <laughs> and Thomas, another man who was with them, who had come with Carrie earlier on, was a practicing physician at whatever level you have back in the 1800s. And they tie him to a tree, and Thomas comes up and knocks his shoulder back in place while chanting to him a paraphrase of Proverbs 28:13 that they had translated into Bengali, sin confessing, sin forsaking, Christ's righteousness embracing, the soul is free. <laughs> sin confessing, sin forsaking, Christ's righteousness embracing, the soul is free. They, they bottled up the gospel as tight as they could get it. And they're chanting that to him as they knock his shoulder back in. And later that year, Krishna breaks caste. He eats with the missionaries even though 2,000 people fill the streets and say, you can't do that. Let the white people do what they want. But we are Indians. You will not break caste. But he broke caste and he ate with them. A soldier was placed in front of his house, a British soldier, to try to keep him from being murdered. Six days later, he's baptized with Carrie's son, Felix. Felix and Krishna are baptized. And on that day, the first time ever, the Lord's table was eaten in India unless it was done with the Apostle Thomas in the days of the Apostles. Over the next two years, a dozen others come to Christ, so that within 10 years of arriving in India, the first Bengali church had 13 members. So they go six and a half years without a believer. And then in the next three years, they see 12 others come to Christ, and all of Krishna's family is converted, including his 13-year-old daughter, Golak, and her story is fascinating and terrifying, Because he was converted when she's 13, she had already been promised to another man. Well, now they realize you can't give her to someone unless he's a Christian. But the man comes and says, I paid, I'm taking her. He takes the girl and Krishna has to decide what to do. He wants to fight with the guy. What would you have done, dads? Eventually his entire family is converted. Krishna goes up and down, but he slowly proceeds more up than down. And begins preaching for the church. And if I added up their salaries and the money that was given to them. It comes into the millions of rands to get that one church of 13 people over those 10 years. It also costs the deaths of Peter Carey, three other missionaries, and the sanity of two others. Because one of the men and Dorothy Carey both fell into darkness. Some of the new converts began preaching in the street even though they were persecuted. One new Christian, an Indian Christian, had cow dung thrown at him. But what's most remarkable about Krishna's conversion is that 10 years before Kerry arrived, there were Moravians sent out by Nicholas Zinzendorf. And those Moravians had preached and given the gospel to Krishna Paul. And after 10 years of ministry, they gave up and said, we can't see the gospel working here. And they left. And a few years later, Carrie arrives. And the seed that was planted that the Moravians never knew bore fruit. It bore fruit. And those men whose lives are, names are lost, they're not lost to God because he honored his word and saved them. In 1801, After eight years, the Bengali New Testament comes off the presses. Remember, it's been translated for three and a half years, but now it can finally be printed. 
And Carrie's hired to teach in a British government uh, college. Now listen to the money that's earned. Marshman earns a million rand a year through the school, but only keeps 34,000 for his family. Carrie earns 150,000 rand a year. He only keeps 40,000. Ward, the printer, gave back everything over 24,000 rand. And those numbers are, as best I could tell, up to today's um, exchange. They, they lived on almost nothing because they had their house now. They're, they're living on almost nothing. Carrie later writes, we kept the, the coarsest clothes. And no one can say we're getting fat on our food. And they gave it all back to the mission. To support other missionaries like Felix, Carrie's son, who now gave himself to be a missionary. And there's other missionaries coming in. The salaries these men earned, they gave back to the mission board, which was used to support other missionaries. By far, the highest paid missionaries, that is the highest earning missionaries, were the Sarampore Trio. And some of the lowest paid were the Sarampore Trio. At 45 years old, this is what an average day looked like for Carrie. 5.45 a.m., read a chapter from the Hebrew Bible and pray. 7 o'clock a.m., family worship in Bengali with all the missionaries and the workers. 7.30, review Persian, then Hindustani with language helpers. 8 o'clock, breakfast. 8.30, translate the Ramayana from Sanskrit to English. That's Indian cultural writings. 10 o'clock in the morning, teach at the college. 2 o'clock in the afternoon, proofread the Bengali translation of Jeremiah. 5 o'clock, dinner. 5.30, translate Matthew 8 into Sanskrit. 6 o'clock, study Telugu with a language helper. 7.30, preach in English to the British government officials and merchants. 9 o'clock p.m. at night, Translate Ezekiel 11 into Bengali. 10.30, correspondence to friends. 11 o'clock p.m., read a chapter from the Greek New Testament before sleep. Are you busy? He wrote to John Ryland back in England, quote, I can scarcely call an hour my own in a week. I, however, rejoice in my work and delight in it. After 15 years in India... Kerry reported that some part of the scripture was now in 12 new languages. Kerry wrote, few people know what may be done until they try, if they will only persevere in what they undertake. In 1807, Dorothy dies after 12 years of growing madness. And Kerry felt that. The next year, Kerry remarries a Dutch woman, Charlotte Rumer, after he taught her to speak English. In 1812, 1812, follow the dates. He arrives in 1793, he's been there for 20 years. In 1812, the year opens with a missionary wife dying, two missionary children dying, and then a fire in the print shop. At night, one of the Members of the team, whoever it was, they have many Indians working and then there's a number of missionaries working. Someone left a window open and a candle burning. The candle somehow caught fire and men opened more windows to try to pass water in. The opening of the windows allowed 
the wind to come in, the fire blew up. 10 million rand was lost in a night's work, as well as many, many years of translation work. Carey wrote to Fuller, that's Andrew Fuller back in England. William Carey wrote, quote, The loss is heavy, but... Now see, I wouldn't put a button there. It'd just be the, the loss. But here's the man. The loss is heavy, but... As the traveling road the second time, however painful it may be, is usually done with greater ease and certainty than when we traveled it for the first time, so I trust the work will lose nothing in value. They go on laboring. A decade's worse was work. A decade's work was lost in a night. And they just get back up. But they count their blessings. After 19 years, they now had 11 churches with on average, 30 members per church, that an English church as well among the British employees of the government, and three of Carey's four surviving sons had become missionaries. Well, after over 20 years of missionary service, hundreds of baptized Indians, they endure 30, uh, I'm sorry, they endure 16 years of opposition from fellow missionaries. Because, as I mentioned earlier, Kerry, Marshman, and Ward had agreed to live on an equality basis. We're going to let the love of Christ rule. We're going to give in to each other. We're going to be in a competition to serve you. I'm going to constantly give up my rights for you. And others had come who did not feel the same way. The trio had given 100,000 pounds to the mission. That's 100 million rand or so. They had overwhelmingly poured their money out. But the young recruits who had come over there, in part because of Kerry's amazing name in England. He never went back to England. He just wrote letters. And largely his name brought so many people there. But... They said the older missionaries are too hard. We don't like that one. We don't like that one. He's too hard for us. Even though the Sarampore trio gave the overwhelming majority of the money, even though they did the lion's share of the teaching, preaching, and translation work, even though they had lived the longest, even though they had lost the majority of loved ones, eventually, William Carey in 1830 was removed from the mission board that he founded 35 years ago. But that's not surprising for anyone who knows church history, is it? Because Jonathan Edwards was kicked out of his church. This is not, this world is not a safe place. It is not a place to put your hopes or your anchor down. Love Christ and love his church, but remember that you are living in and with and around people who are sinful, and you might be the most of all of them. Kerry said later, if he could revisit that time, he said he would, quote, scrupulously abstain from offering any reply. Because remember, I told you that the conflict went on for 16 years before he was kicked out. And he said, if I could go back now, what I would do is I would abstain from ever answering anything they said. I would simply tell them, you can say or do anything you like provided that you don't take one minute of my invaluable time. 
One of Carrie's biographers wrote, the greatest trial of a missionary is often another missionary. These tensions came over a decade along with all these problems. Listen, while Carrie's being kicked out of his mission board, and you can be sure he felt it dearly, while that's happening, his second wife died. And he wrote, my loss is irreparable. I am exceedingly lonely. Krishna Paul, who is 56 years old, and his first son Felix at 37, both died. They were baptized in the same day, and they died in the same year. Felix's story is particularly tragic because he had become a missionary to Burma. Before Adoniram Judson went there, Felix went there as a missionary. On his way back to visit his father with a copy of the Bible that he had translated, the boat sank in the river. His infant son, his wife, and the Bible were lost. And Felix came out the other side a changed man. And you wonder, why, Lord, do you, do you bring this cost? And shortly after that, Felix dies. Cholera hit Sarampore. And William Ward died. That was one of the Sarampore trio. John Ryland, the last of the three at home, died. Remember, there's three at home and three overseas. Carrie went first, and he's joined by the Ward and Marshman. And there's Fuller, Ryland, and Sutcliffe at home. And then during this time, Ryland dies. In 1830, when his friends have died and his wife and children, in 1830, at 69 years old, the first of three major banks in London failed. And then three years later, the second major banks failed where the missionaries had had all of their retirement savings. So between 69 and 72, Kerry loses whatever money he had had to keep him alive through to the end. But the chapter closes with this. In 1829, Sati was abolished in large part because of Carrie. And on that day, on a Sunday morning, when the announcement came that it was abolished, it came in the form of an English ordinance from the governor of India. And they asked Carrie to translate it. And it came on a Sunday morning as he was preparing to preach. He immediately asked another man to preach for him. And he spent the entire day translating that so that not one more Indian woman would die. About six months before Carrie died, news reached Sarampore that slavery had been abolished in England and the colonies. And it needs to be said again and again that yes, England had slaves, but they're the first country in the history of the world that abolished slavery. Every country had slavery because of the wickedness of men's hearts. But England stopped it because of the glory of the Bible. So any rubbish that's tossed around about the evil, the unique evil of Britain needs to be balanced with the unique glory of the gospel that working through Britain abolished slavery. Quote, for many years and carries every prayer He has been pleading for the destruction of slavery. He proposed that for one month we should give special thanksgiving to God in all of our meetings. 1834, the 9th of June, Carrie passed away at sunrise. With 35 different languages having some portion of the Bible and six of those languages having the entire Bible. 600 converts had been baptized and 13 mission stations had been started. On his tombstone, he requested the lines... Of Isaac Watts, a wretched, poor, and helpless worm 
On thy kind arms I fall. And one of his most famous lines when he was asked, how did you do this was, I can plod. Are there any men here that can plod day after day for Tsongas or Vendas or Afrikaners or Shonas or Mozambique? May God give us those. Let's close our class tonight in prayer.